My name is Megan Cockrell, and about four years ago, I had completely given up on church. And honestly, I'd, I'd given up on God. And from then on, my life took a downward turn. And about eight months ago, I was at the darkest point I'd ever been at. I was really angry, um, and I was at rock bottom. There wasn't really any further down for me to go. Um, I, I felt like I always had friends around me, or family, or I, I was never physically alone, but I was lonely. And I had an emptiness inside me that I, it was just painful. Um, and I had a neighbor who just kept asking me and asking me to come to church with her. And finally I gave in just to get her to stop asking me. When I asked Megan to come to church with me, it wasn't just one particular day that I had to ask her. and It was actually more of a couple days turning into a few days. and. Eventually, I just became like a little gnat saying, Megan, you need to come to church with me. You need to come to church with me. It's just awesome. Your, your life is going to be changed. When I got to Centerpoint that day, um, I was truthfully ready for it to be over before it even started. But when we got inside and sat down and the music started, I felt like God just filled the room. And then John started talking and the sermon was about excuses that people make for not going to church. And I started thinking, I've said all of those things. And I felt like somebody had told him that I needed to hear this. And by the end of it, I felt like the last 10 or 15 minutes here, I was happier than I'd been in four years. That hole that was inside of me, I felt like it was starting to go away. I let go of a lot of resentment. And I let go of more anger than I can even tell you. Um, if there was something for me to be mad about, I was mad about it and it, it started eating me up. And in that one day, that one service, it fell away. I called my dad as I was leaving. I hadn't even gotten out of the parking lot yet. I was still passing by that sign on the way in and I thought, I need to tell him this. This is the most life-changing experience I've ever had outside of the birth of my child. You know, I mean, it was something that I couldn't keep inside. I had to tell somebody, and I called him, and I just told him, I, was, I said, you have to try this. A few weeks after my first Sunday, my entire family came, my parents, my sisters, and all of us being together here felt so good. And a week after that, my husband came. And the difference that this place has made in our lives is it's indescribable. The difference from Megan the first time she came to church at Centerpoint to the difference now is just incredible. There's just such a glow about her. And she's got this passion and this fire within her heart. And, you know, I was the one dragging her to church, but now she's the one dragging her family and all of her friends to church. Now it's just incredible what she's doing in other people's lives. We wake up looking forward to this every Sunday. During the week, I can't wait because it feels good to be here together. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to applaud that too. In fact, we hope that that is your experience as you worship here, that God speaks to you and you feel like you meet him here when we worship. And today I want to talk with you about why we worship anyway. And it comes as a, the third installment in our series that we've entitled The Life Change Challenge. Inside your bulletin, you will find an outline of where I'm going today. And we're talking about worship. And here's today's challenge. Worshiping regularly with others this year will change my life. Most of us made New Year's resolutions, and we said, I want a better life in 2014 than I had in 2013. Well, most of the year is still left, and I want to tell you, if you and I will make a commitment to worship together this year, God will meet us in these worship services, and he'll change our lives. And I want to talk with you about that today. 
I want to welcome the folks who are worshiping with us uh, via video at Cloverdale. We're glad you're along too. And I'd like to have a word of prayer and we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. I thank you for your Holy Spirit who empowers us and energizes that word in our lives. Your word, Lord. And Father, I just uh, thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are seated right beside us. I pray that today, Lord, you'd speak and you'd move me out of the way and you remind us why worshiping regularly together is so important to our spiritual health and to our well-being. I want everybody here to have the best year they've ever had. And Father, it all begins with you. Please speak, Lord. Teach us what we need to know. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Hey, if you need a pen, by the way, to fill in the blanks in your outline, the ushers will be coming up and down the aisles, and they'll be glad to bring a pen to you. Point one is a little bit of history for you. It's pretty clear if you read the Bible and if you check some uh, historical records that Christians from the very beginning of the church have always gathered regularly to worship God. They've gathered regularly. Started out every day after uh, Sunday uh, and Monday and Tuesday and everything after Pentecost. Well, uh, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples and on the early church, they gathered in the temple. Here's what Acts 2 tells us. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity, all all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When the church was brand new and fresh and everything was clean and with a clean slate, worship was a big part of it. We read that passage, part of that passage last week also, that they met in small groups, and that was last week's challenge. And if you and I are part of a a small group, a connect group here, your life's going to change for the better. Well, this week's challenge is the worship part of that. They met every day in the temple, and that lasted until there was great persecution that, brought, that came against the church, and Christians were driven out of Jerusalem all over the world. And everywhere they went, little churches sprung up, and it didn't take long before they started meeting together for the Lord's Supper and teaching the Word and singing songs together on Sundays, on the Lord's Day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, in Acts 20, verse 7, I read you from Acts 2 before. This is a few years later in Acts 20. The Apostle Paul, after he has been on a missionary journey encouraging the churches that he's planted, he comes back to the city of Troas, spends a week there, and here's what Luke records. He says, on the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper at worship. So ever since the church was founded, worship has been a big part of it. When people gathered together, they had the Lord's Supper, they did teaching, they did prayer, they did singing. Paul talked about this in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That sounds like a center point worship service. That's what we try to do here. We try to teach each other with all wisdom and to admonish each other, which means, hey, lots of life application here. And we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with glad hearts. Oh, that's what we want worship to be. And you and I can have as meaningful a relationship with God as Christians did when it, the church first started. But the part you and I play is we need to participate, just like they did. And that brings us to point two. The Christians have always gathered together regularly to worship God. So point two, we need to gather regularly to worship God. And please circle the word we. That's you and me. That wasn't something just for Christians a long time ago. This is something for us today. You and I need to gather for worship regularly. We're God's kids, all of us. And he loves it when his family comes together for a time of worship. And I'm going to spend the balance of my time with you here giving you five reasons for this. Here's what the writer of Hebrews said, by the way. He said, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and to good works. 
Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. From the very beginning, there were people who jumped into the worship, and they got involved, and their lives changed, and there were other people who neglected it and said, I don't have time. I'm too tired. Got too many other things going on. And then life didn't get better for him that year. It got worse. I mean, that's what Megan was talking about. When she dropped out of church, man, all kinds of problems dropped in. I can't tell you how many times since we started this church, I've met with people and they've said, man, I'm, I've come back and it might be because they're here in Prattville. They're meeting in a, in a conference room or something. Like, they gave it a chance or maybe because we started something in Cloverdale. There's some people coming back to church because they can come to something on Sunday afternoons. But they're giving it a chance. When I talk to people who haven't been in church for years, they go, I don't know how I ever got away from this. Because when I got away from God, I just, I lost all perspective on things and oh, brought so much hardship in my life. And the Lord wants us to experience joy and peace in his direction. And so I want to go over five important reasons why you and I don't need to neglect meeting together, coming together for worship. First of all, if you and I will commit to this, Worshiping God together regularly this year will help us keep God first. Will help us keep God first. Is that a problem? Yeah, it's a problem, keeping God first. Jesus said it was the most important thing, by the way. Jesus said when he was asked what's the most important commandment in the Bible, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. God comes first. I'm going to need help with that, and so will you, because... I don't know if about you, but just something shiny will get me distracted. Doesn't take much. Just a little head cold can keep me away from going to something. Just a little opportunity, somebody just saying something. I hadn't even planned on something. All of a sudden, now I'm distracted and don't have time for God today. Don't have time to worship this week. Worship the Lord with gladness, Psalm 100 says. Come before him with singing and joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Did you notice it's all about him in that little passage? And that's the whole idea. When we come together, it doesn't matter whether we come together in Prattville or Cloverdale or Pike Road or Wetumpka. It doesn't matter. Wherever we go, we're going to set up worship services to help us keep our focus on him, not on ourselves and not on our problems. We worship a God who is smarter than we are, and we worship a God who's bigger than our problems. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? Amen. amen? amen. And so we need to worship him. And if I'm not careful, I'll get distracted. That's the note in your outline here. You and I will be tempted to worship substitutes. We will be. It's coming. It's coming for all of us. I know because the first two of the Ten Commandments are warnings against letting something else take first place in our lives. Commandment number one, you must not have any other God but me. That is Exodus 20, verse three. Here's verses four and five. Commandment number two, you must not make for yourself any idol of any kind, an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God and I will not tolerate your affection for other gods. I'm first in your life. I made you. You are my people. I want you to be glad when you come into the courts of my presence. I mean, the Psalms elsewhere say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's not to be, I was mad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. We're supposed to be glad about this. I love it when Megan says they can't wait for Sunday. 
That's the way it's supposed to be. Hey, we get to go be with God. We get to refocus our attention. He's the one who made us. Let's go see what he has to say for us, to say has in store for us today. Let's go meet with him. I know we'll be better off. We can get in tune with the creator of the whole universe. Because it doesn't take long for a hobby to take first place in our life or a lifestyle or a career or an addiction. And all of a sudden we're paying homage and spending all of our money and our time chasing what other people think is important, chasing something that's controlling us. And life is hard and empty and miserable. The devil will make sure of it, by the way. The devil will make sure you and I are tempted to worship substitutes. How do I know that? Well, because Jesus himself was tempted this way. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. We've got black ink on white paper about this. Matthew chapter 4. Next, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain. He showed him the kingdoms of all the world and all their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. And then listen to Jesus' response. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. He comes first. And when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Put God first with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. He comes first. Well, why on earth would we not take advantage of the fact that Christians can gather every Sunday here in this country with full liberty, full freedom, We have opportunities to help each other worship and remind ourselves that God comes first. If you and I want to have the best year we can possibly have in 2014, that's what we need to do. So one reason that you and I need to meet together is that worshiping God together regularly this year will help us keep God first. Secondly, you and I need to know that worshiping God together regularly will help us express our love and devotion to God. I mean, in worship, you ascribe God worth and we praise him. Well, most of us are terrible at expressing love and devotion. That's why I thank God for Hallmark. Any amen on that one? Yeah. I'm not even good at expressing love and devotion to my wife, and she's standing right there in front of me, sitting across the table from me. I mean, I love going to that card store, and they have some of this, they have this beautiful poem, and they, tell, uh, they describe how I love her eyes and her smile and all she does for our family. Oh, that's good. I'm, I'm signing my name on that one. Okay. Otherwise, it's, you sure are purdy. <laughs> I worked on that for a month, darling. It was uh, from deep in here. But I always love it that there's somebody who can express love and devotion better than me. It's not cheating if I really think through the card. She's grateful for it. In fact, she's grateful she didn't have to endure my poetry. Roses are red, violets are blue. Okay, something like that. Well, isn't it great? Wouldn't it be great if we could gather together with people whom God had spiritually gifted to lead us in worship? We can. And that's why some of you, when you're here on Sunday mornings, you go, oh, man, the music, it just transported me. It was exactly what I wanted to say to God. When you were talking about this, I mean, Megan mentioned this, it's like, it's like you were talking straight to me. Did somebody tell you what you were supposed to say? No. But that's why I pray every week, God, I want you to speak and move me out of the way. He'll speak to us here. He'll meet us here. And we'll be able to tell him things better than we've ever been able to articulate if we come together because he's he's organized us this way. It'll help us express our love and devotion. I mean, 
Listen to how David, this is David, a man after God's own heart. Listen to what he wrote. This is a love poem to God. Just follow along with me. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. It continues if you flip your outline over. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper, and I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. Man, that guy could write. I mean, when I read that, I go, oh, that's exactly right. If you have ever woken up in the middle of the night and you've been terrified about something and you've gotten out of bed and gotten on your knees to pray, and all of a sudden there's a peace that came over your heart, you go, thank you, Lord. I called out to you in the middle of the night and you were there. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you're my helper. Oh, that's, that's really good stuff, David. Imagine if we could get together and someone could spend time, myself in most cases here, studying this to help us understand the scripture, to have worship leaders who can lead us in hymns and songs and spiritual tunes and melodies and things where as we sit there and sing this, we go, oh God, this is what I wanted to say to you last week and I didn't have the words for it. Now I do. Thank you, God. I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful? I can promise you this. If you come this next year and you make a commitment to be a part of our worship services, we will open God's word. We will study it and come prepared to help you embrace what God has for us. If you come, our worship leaders will be prepared and they will lead us in songs that can help let our souls sing. Don't miss that. If you want the best year ever, you and I got to commit to coming to worship. And it's important to note that God wants us to come. If we're coming to worship, he wants us to come and worship him in spirit and truth. That means with an honest, open heart. No secrets, no games, just coming. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Jesus said this in John 4, 23. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. What are you talking about? Well, here's a little more clarity. Hebrews 10, 22, let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Please underline sincere hearts. Psalm 15, who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives, do what's right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Spirit and truth, sincere hearts. I love it when people come and they just want to worship God and they just go, Lord, speak to me. Lord, I'm going to sing your praises. I'm just opening my heart to you. Whatever you want to say to me, you say. And God, I'm going to pour out my love for you. A couple weeks ago, one of our services was getting full and uh, here in Prattville and uh, one of the ushers was trying to seat somebody. There was a woman sitting at the end of a row and as she was seated at the end of the row, it was during a song and she was singing, and she had one hand over her heart and one hand raised to God, and her eyes closed, and just sing with all her heart. The usher was standing beside her. There were two chairs that were empty on the other side. He was tapping on her shoulder to see if somebody could slide by. She, she, she waved him off a couple of times. <laughs> you know, until the song was, I'm watching it from the back, and I'm watching it. It's like, hey, yeah, I'll be right with you. Hang on there, okay? And uh, the song was over, and she goes, oh, excuse me. And she slid down after that. 
Ain't nothing come between her and worshiping her Lord. Oh. Can I tell you that's what I desire for all of us? Glad and sincere hearts. God, I'm just singing to you right now. I'm not singing for anybody else. I don't care if anybody else in the world is even aware of this. Lord, I'm just singing to you because I love you so much. And Lord, I want you to speak to me. My heart is sincere here. If we gather for worship, that happened in the early church and God was adding to their number every day. It'll happen still today if we come prepared, ready to listen, ready to speak with sincere hearts. But here's a warning, and this is a life application. You need to know this too. Here's the flip side. God knows what's in our hearts and he will not accept false worship. You can just write, pretend worship. There were people uh, who were religious leaders in the day when Jesus was walking the face of the earth and they were pretending. They said they were gathering people so that people could worship God better, but they'd really set up a whole system of rules and laws that would make them look good. And so soon it became very clear if you hung around them when they would pray, they'd pray these long prayers loudly and publicly with long prayer shawls to show that they could pray better than you. They would memorize scripture and recite it, carry around little memory boxes on their arms and on their foreheads, contained all these memory verses, and people go, oh, wow, that guy is really spiritual. They'd take the highest seat of honor, and it just bugged Jesus to death. Here's why. Jesus was talking about such a person who was giving false worship, really trying to get people to think they were good at worshiping. Jesus replied, you hypocrites, the prophet Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. You're not worshiping me. You're doing this to be seen by people. It'd be like taking my wife out for dinner and sitting in the most prominent place in the restaurant so everybody could see that I was out to dinner with my wife, dating her better than you. <laughs> and we'd enjoy conversation, and I would laugh and posture, and my wife would go, what are you doing? I want those people over there to notice how much I like you. <laughs> Forget the evening. I mean, why would you go on a date if you didn't want to spend time with the person across the table? Why would you come into God's house if you didn't want to talk to him? It's his house. Because I just want you to think I'm more spiritual than you are. In the days of Malachi, strong words were spoken through, the Lord, through Malachi by the Lord to the people of his day. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you've been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner. You, know I, you want to know why God doesn't accept your worship? Because it's a lie. You say, God, you come first in my life. Well, then honor my commandments. Don't come in here and tell me how much you love me on Sunday morning while you're out cheating, out, cheating on your wife on Saturday night. What kind of junk is that? Hey, I love you. I'm just going to lie to you. Hey, you come first, but I'm not going to respect a darn thing you say. Save it. Your worship's a farce. This is a game, and I'm not playing. 
That's what the Lord said then, and that's what he would say now. So if you and I are going to get a tune-up and put God first and make sure we're expressing our hearts with right devotion, we need to come every week with open hearts. And if we're hypocritical about something, we need to confess it and get right because he hates false worship. Here's a third reason you and I need to come to church. We need to worship together. Worshiping God together regularly will change our perspective. On what? On everything. On everything. On money, sex, relationships, priorities, you name it. He'll change our perspective. Isaiah wrote these words, my thoughts, speaking for the Lord here, or allowing the Lord to speak through him, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Do you know that there's not one day that I live on this earth that my thoughts, I wake up, and yep, I'm right in sync with God without God's help. Without his help, I don't get anywhere close, and neither do you. We are stumbling around in the dark. Our best and most righteous deeds are like filthy rags compared to what he does. And so we need him. Well, if we come together for worship, then here's the job for people like me, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So if we come and we've prepared worship songs that will help our hearts get right, and we've prepared lessons that will help us understand what God says, then we can grasp what his thoughts are because he's revealed them to us. And we can help each other get the right perspective. So I might come in here, selfish as the day is long, but by the time I'm finished with worship, oh God, it's not about me. I might come in here unwilling to forgive, and then during the time of worship, God reminds me how much he's forgiven me. Lord, I want my perspective back in line. I might come in here dead set that I'm going to do this, and nobody's going to stop me. By the time I'm done, I go, Lord, I need to pray about this first. And if you and I come with glad and sincere hearts and we're open to God's direction, he'll change our perspective. He'll reveal things to us we would never discover on our own. This happens to me all the time in worship. Does it happen to you? If it's happened to you, would you raise your hand where God has shown you something? Raise it high. Look at the hands go up. Well, if God's doing this on a regular basis, why would we miss worship? Why would we sleep in? I talked to a guy once he really had a funny expression for that. Yeah, I was worshiping at St. Mattress on the Springs last week and uh, didn't make it in. That was a new one. I thought I'd share that with you. It's pretty good. Here's a fourth reason why you and I need to worship together regularly. Worshiping God together regularly reminds us that we are all, we are all, please circle the word all, members of God's family. Last week, when I was telling you we need to be in small groups, I said, look, Christianity is personal but not private. I'm going to say it again. It's personal but not private. And the danger is if you and I don't get together with other Christians, we're going to forget that, that we're part of God's big family here. And we'll begin to think, hey, God, I've got a great relationship with you. And, and, you know, my family's got a great relationship with you. And, well, I'm not too sure about the rest of the family. I mean, I know I'm right. And we can get prideful and slide right into that self-righteous stuff again. But you and I get together with other Christians. All of a sudden, we're going to remember, hey, God loves the whole world. Because we're going to meet people older than us, younger than us. There's going to be men, women, people of different races, different backgrounds. Some people have been Christians for a long time. Some people just coming in. Listen to what James says, and here's a word of instruction. It's kind of rebuke, but he's writing to early Christians, and he talks to them like family. 
my dear brothers and sisters, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressing, dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who's poor and dressed in dirty clothes. Well, if you give special attention and a good seat to the rich guy, but you say to the poor one, you go stand over there, I'll sit on the floor. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? He's talking about this, our gatherings. When you and I come together, we'll get a different perspective even on that. And we'll get a reminder, hey, I'm part of what God's doing in the whole world. I'm part of God's family. You come to worship, you might be sitting next to a farmer, next to a PhD, next to a teacher, next to a mom, next to a dad, next to a kid in grade school. We're all part of God's family. And if I don't come regularly, I can forget that. I can become self-righteous and stuck up. God doesn't want stuck-up kids. I don't want stuck-up kids. And I sure don't want to be one. Fifthly, worshiping God together regularly will give us many opportunities to introduce others to Christ. Did you catch in that video that Megan invited her, called her parents, and they invited friends? There's like four other families coming now as a result of all that. And she called because she said she was so lonely and this satisfied her in a way that like, she had to compare it to something like having, when she had her child, it was that moving to her. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 14. This is from Eugene Peterson's message translation. If some unbelieving outsiders walk in on a service where people are speaking out God's truth, the plain words will bring them up against the truth and probe their hearts. And before you know it, they're going to be on their faces before God, recognizing that God is among you. Didn't even want to come here. But I came, and while it was happening, I realized, oh, God is speaking to me. Megan's experience is not unusual at all. I can't tell you. I mean, I, I wish y'all could stand where I stand when I'm speaking to a crowd like this. Because if you stand in my position, you're all seeing me, but I get to see all y'all. And there's times when I say something, and a woman will elbow her husband like this or things like this. That's really funny. But there's other times you can tell that people were brought here pretty much against their will. And you can tell because they're sitting there like this with their eyes closed, shaking their head when I start out. Mm-mm. I don't know why I'm here. And then what will happen is as you go along, all of a sudden you'll people, see people sit up, and then pretty soon they'll grab an outline. Somebody start looking at this. Look at the screens. A couple of times I've even seen this. By the time we're about finished with the message, people leaning forward, looking at reading the scripture on the screens around and I put the hand down and sometimes you see the tears fall between the fingers. If some unbelieving outsiders walk in on a service where people are speaking out God's truth, the plain words will bring them up against the truth and probe their hearts and before you know it, they're going to be on their faces before God recognizing that God is among you. I can promise you this, I will do my best and I will ensure that whoever is standing in this spot on Sunday morning will come prepared to speak the plain truth of God's word. If you come here this next year and you bring an unchurched friend, a person who is lonely, who is desperately seeking for hope and light and truth and help in their lives, they will find it in Jesus. But how will they find us if you're not here? You want to have the best life ever? Bring a friend like Megan and see what God does in their lives. You see. It'll bless you. And you go, God, you wanted me to do that. Yes, I did. 
I mean, did you catch that when they were worshiping and doing all this stuff? God was daily adding to their fellowship those who were being saved. Why? Because his word was being spoken. You think we're the only ones who need hope? You think we're the only ones who need direction? You think we're the only ones who are looking for authentic worship in truth? We got friends and neighbors and coworkers who are dying for this stuff. People who sit with us in a classroom, they don't have a clue what life is about. We don't even have time to go to worship and invite them. That's why this is a challenge. Life change challenge number three. I will regularly participate, please circle the word participate, and worship with other Christians this year. That's the challenge. Now you, got, you and I can make that decision today. Many of you know that um, before this church started, I was on the staff and was blessed to be on the staff at Fraser Methodist for a number of years, almost 20 years. And um, uh, serving with the senior pastor there, John Ed Matheson, and there was one Sunday I'll never forget. was a uh, Sunday morning. It was after we'd had a kind of a freak snowstorm. A real cold spell came through at the end of March, beginning of April. It was in the early 90s, I believe, sometime. And, um, you know, it snowed like six inches, which means here in Montgomery, it was like, might as well snowed six feet. You know, it's like, ah! you know, the sky's falling. It's terrible. <laughs> Everything was called off. And, well, that was Friday. And by Sunday morning, the roads were all clear. And so we didn't know if people would come to church or not. And so we decided, well, we're just going to have worship services. We always had three at 8, 9, 30, and 11. So we'd be there in the sanctuary. And I remember John Ed, myself, and some others were at the front of the sanctuary. And an elderly woman came to the front. She was the first one there, like at 745 or whatever. And when she came down, uh, John Ed went up to her and said, ma'am, I sure am glad you decided to come today. And she looked at him and she said, I didn't decide to come today. And he was kind of puzzled. He said, well, what do you mean? Well, every fall, we would have a volunteer uh, time where people could sign up for what they were, where they were going to serve the next year. And part of their volunteer commitment, they'd, where they were going to serve, and they'd make a commitment that they would be in worship the next year. She said, I made a commitment to be here every Sunday this year, last year. If I'd have waited till this morning, I'd have never been here. <laughs> that weather's terrible out there. <laughs> if you and I wait until Sunday morning to decide whether or not we're going to come to worship, or at Cloverdale, if we wait till Sunday afternoon, well, what if it's 72 and sunny? That's golfing weather. What if it's raining? It's too wet. What if I had a ball game? What if I'm a fan of a football team and they went into overtime past midnight last night? I'm too tired. Or what if it didn't and I'm too well rested? Got too many things to do. And what if I have a head cold? And what if I was so busy this last week that, you know, I just need some time to myself? And so Sunday after Sunday, month after month, all of a sudden I'm not in worship at all. And I don't get God's perspective, and I don't put him first, and I don't bring my friends. I don't have any better life this year than I did last year. So here's the challenge. I will regularly participate in worship with other Christians this year.